This morning, I'll be reading Romans 7, 21 through 8, 4. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God and my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Jesus Christ from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. The word for, of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Well, before we uh, start our uh, study of the text this morning and uh, a series that we're going to do over the next two months in Romans 8, um, let me just share with you how excited I am for Christ the King, for Travis Drake. Uh, I've had a chance to meet him. I've had a chance to read about him. I've had a chance to talk to people who know him. And what a perfect fit for Christ the King is Travis. So I just want to share with you my personal enthusiasm for him. But also, I want to express uh, gratitude to the Pastoral Search Committee uh, just for their hard work, their many, many hours they invested in this process. And you can just see God's hand in it throughout the whole process. So thanks to all the Pastoral Search Committee for your hard work. But I particularly want to thank G. Uh, she was the leader of the team, uh, along with Leonard. But uh, in interacting with G, I just caught her passion for the pursuit of the right person for Christ the King. So, G, you did an amazing uh, work for this congregation. So, thank you, G. So, uh, so where does the inspiration for this series come from? It comes from Travis Drake. <laughs> so, when I was interviewing with Travis and talking to me, he said to me, Clyde, have you seen... Have you seen this documentary called 14 Peaks? It's on Netflix. Um, so if you don't have Netflix, you want to come watch it, call me and you can come over to my house and I'll watch it with you. I've already watched it twice. I told Valerie I want to watch it a third time uh, because it is truly amazing. Uh, picture of this group of men from Nepal who band together to climb the 14 highest peaks in the world. Now, normally, people who are dedicated climbers might do one or two a year, but their goal was to do 14, sort of 26,000-plus peaks in eight months. That was their goal. And so for an hour and a half in the documentary, you see the highest peaks in the world, and it's not as good as Formula One towns, don't worry, uh, but it's, it's really amazing to watch. Uh, this documentary, and the leader's name is PIMS, uh, P-I-M-S, and he is a, just again, a, such an amazing leader of a group and team of people. But to watch the picture of them coming up to these amazing peaks like K2 
And that's where we're calling this R8, Romans 8. Uh, because Romans is one of the great peaks in the Bible. And I thought if I was going to do a sermon series to pick out the 14 or 10 highest expressions of God's revelation of himself, Romans 8 is probably the Mount Everest uh, in the Bible. Uh, one of my seminary professors said, you should read Romans 8 every week. Um, take time to read Romans 8. So in my experience and journeys and travels, uh, I was on a mission trip to India on the northwest, northeast border of India in a community called Missouri, uh, where we had medical missionaries there working in a hospital. And I got a chance to go visit with them and talk with them, pray with them and see their work there. But you could hike about a mile up from Missouri and get up to this high space where you could look into the Nepal and see the Himalayas. So as far as from the left to the right, you can see these massive mountains were there. And so when I think about the panorama of mountains, I think about the Himalayas that I got to see. But another experience I had was when Valerie and I got to go to Switzerland um, uh, on a missions conference, and we went there. And uh, we wanted to go visit the community of Interlaken, uh, which everybody says is one of the beautiful, most beautiful spots, and it is in Switzerland. But there's a peak there called the Jungfrau. Uh, it's one of the highest peaks in Switzerland, and you can actually get in a cable car and go right to the top of the Jungfrau and see it and experience um, uh, the beauty of that high peak looking over the Swiss Alps. But when Valerie and I were in Interlaken, uh, it was raining and there was a lot of fog. And of course, being sort of the uh, sort of ultimate optimist, I thought, we're gonna go up anyway and, and God will make a way, the sun will break out, we'll get to see the Alps, let's do it. So Valerie and I rode the cable car all the way up to the top and it was a thick fog. <laughs> so we saw the pictures and everything of what it's like when you go to the top of the Jungfrau, but we didn't get the vision and get to actually see it. Now, as the people of God, the illustration here is that too often we're living in a fog. We can't see beyond our hand. We're so consumed by our circumstances, our challenges, our problems, our needs. We cannot see this grand vision of what God is doing in our life and what he's offered to us. And so what I want to encourage as we start this series where there's fog in your life about understanding and experiencing God's love for you, his pursuit of you, his commitment to complete the good work that he's begun in you, as we study Romans 8 together, it's going to be like climbing a mountain. It's the ascent. It's going up. Uh, in this, uh, this understanding of how the gospel works. But it is so worth it to get to the very peak of where Romans 8 ends up, that there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God. Nothing. That's being at the very pinnacle of God's commitment to you and me, that he's never going to leave us or forsake us, walk away from us. And actually, he's committed to com uh, completing things in us that we would never ask for or imagine because of his great love for us. And Romans 8 will lift the fog. It will go, oh my goodness, how did I get so diminished in my conviction of how great it is to follow Jesus? So for that as introduction, let me pray for us. Father, we pray now that you'd give us ears to hear and eyes to see.
what you've done for us um, through Jesus to help us to grow in confidence that there is such a grand uh, expression of the drama of redemption, just like the curtains get pulled back and we get to see this great chorus, this great play unfolding for us in the history of men and women, and we get to be a part of it. And so I pray that you'd open our minds and hearts to want what you want for us, more than what the world tells us, more than what we want for ourselves, but we would have a new desire to want what you want for us, Jesus, we pray. Amen. So you have to love the Bible, don't you? Because if you read Romans 7, <laughs> leading to Romans 8, so we got to back up. Before we get to base camp, we're going to go back to Romans 7, where the Apostle Paul is very clear at how he says the Christian life involves struggle. Now, He's going to say in Romans 7, before we get to verse 24, 21, which uh, was read for us, he's going to say, more often than not, I do the thing that I don't want to do. I do the thing I hate. Wow, that's, that's pretty honest. Isn't it? <laughs> I mean, how real can you get? Paul, this is written in about A.D. 57. Paul is on his third missionary journey. He wants to go visit Rome for the purpose of encouraging them with the hope of the gospel. And so this letter is a long letter. It's his magnum opus, if you will, of how God works in people like you and me to make real to us what Jesus has done and what he's doing. So uh, Paul writes them this long letter in hopes that he can visit them. And then he says in Romans 1.11, I want to preach the gospel to you. Now, one of the things that's central to Christ the King, you heard Jesus say it, gospel-centered, is the gospel, the good news of who Jesus is, is central to everything we do, we believe, and we hope for. And Paul is telling the Romans, they're already Christians, that he wants to preach the gospel to them for one purpose. Now, in Romans 1.5 and Romans 16.26, he says, here's the message the obedience that comes from faith. The obedience that comes from faith. The obedience of faith. There's some debate whether it's from or of, but the idea is the same. The obedience of faith is that you trust that it's true. You trust what God has said is true. Now, how do you know you tr trust something? You act on it. You know, a lot of times we come to church and we sit and soak and we hear great things said or we hear a blog or we read this or that and we go, that's really good. I like that. But it's not going to have any influence on the way we live. And we can't understand why. Why am I changing? Why am I not different? Why am I more often than not, I don't want to do it and I end up doing the very thing that I hate. Paul is so real, and you got to love that about the Apostle Paul. He's not hiding anything. He's saying, here's how the gospel works. It shows you more and more your need of a Savior, more and more your need of God's work in your life, so that you don't go off and wander off again as a, and become a stranger to the things of God. Jesus is committed to making real to us what it means to live in dependence on him, trust in him, so that when we put our full weight of our convictions, our confidence on him, he proves himself to be who he says he is. He is our Messiah, our Savior, our friend, our wonderful counselor, 
our Lord of Lords. We can just go right down the list of the great I Am's. He does for us what we would never do for ourselves, but he shows us the greatness of his character and the obedience of faith. So when we look at Romans 7, 21 through 25, again, back, you can back all the way up to verse 7. Paul's saying to grow as a Christian. Now he's writing to the Roman church. Now the church spread throughout the world at that time through house churches. So you can imagine you're sitting in a house church and Romans is being read to you without explanation. Paul gets in real detail and depth. And so if you're thinking a lot and wondering, how, what does it mean to follow Jesus, believe in Jesus? Paul is unpacking the very riches of Christ for us. And I'm sure they had to do a lot of discussion and processing afterwards. But Paul gets very real and said, if you're struggling, you're in a good place. <laughs> Here's how you know you're a Christian is, is that you're honest about your brokenness. You see your need to confess because you see what God requires for us through the law. And you go, I need help. Because when I look at what God says about I am to love my neighbor as I love myself, now what happens if you don't love yourself? It's really hard to love your neighbor, isn't it? It's really hard to love other people if you're so down on yourself, you're so committed to your self-pity, whatever. It's hard to love other people if you don't love yourself. And that's a command. And so you look at that command and go, what are we talking about here? How do I do that? How do I love somebody who's hurt me deeply and continues to hurt me? How do I do that? Well, the law shows us our need for a Savior, our need for Jesus to help us to not give up on ourselves, but more importantly, not give up on the people that are in our life who need to see Jesus in us and through us. And again, it's upside down, it's counterintuitive. You go, wow, how, how does this work? How does this work? When Paul says, I'm going to be honest with you, I struggle to know how to do this. I struggle to know how to live it. And again, if I'm sitting there feeling pretty defeated by my own story, my own failures, and I go, Paul, the Apostle Paul, he's been following Jesus for a long time. Now, one of the things that we know about the gospel, it does three things for us. Three Ps here, but I'm going to add a fourth P. Through the work of Christ, Jesus took away the penalty of the judgment we deserve, so that there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. He also took away the power of our brokenness, our sin. He came to defeat the power of it in us, so it doesn't rule us and reign in our life. Go back to Romans 6, read that today. And then the third thing is the presence. Now, this side of heaven, we're still indwelt by our sinful nature. It's there. It's not equal to or even close to who we are in Christ. But more often than not, it feels like it's bigger and greater than our identity in Christ. And that's why we need to hear the gospel today. This is why we need the table today. This is why we need to worship today. Because we need to realize that as great as our brokenness and sin is, Jesus' love and mercy and kindness and enveloping us into his family is ginormous. It is super abundant. It is extravagant. It's super califagilistic, expialidocious. It is so much bigger than our sin. And yet so often we live as if I am so broken, I am so needy, and we just give in to our brokenness. Or we live with the illusion that somehow through striving, we can make it work. Now what's the fourth P that I want you to cut in on today? 
So Paul, the Apostle Paul, the great writer, leader um, of the church, uh, coming to know Jesus after he is resurrected and ascended, but Jesus visits Paul because he's going to use him to start churches, write letters, be the great apostle that he is. Listen to Paul when he says at the end of his life, he wants to encourage Timothy to take over the leadership of Ephesus. So he's, he's talking to him about becoming the leader, which is not only to be the leader of the church in Ephesus, but all those churches to be the bishop. Now, most likely, uh, Timothy is in his 30s. Uh, Travis is in his 30s, so there's a little parallel here. So, <laughs> But uh, he, he's calling Timothy to take this amazing leadership role now listen to what Paul writes to Timothy to encourage him. You can do this. So I'm going to say this to all of you. Whatever God's got in front of me, you can do it because of this. And here's the answer. Uh, Paul says, Timothy, I want you to know that the reason God saved me is, now again, if our theology is not well informed, if we haven't read, we haven't thought, we haven't been instructed, here's how we might fill that in. We might say, Paul would say, to write great letters to the churches, to start churches, missionary journey, heal people, preach the gospel to kings and leaders, and to do amazing things. This is the reason God saved me, Timothy, and you get to do all that too if you follow Jesus. You think that's what he's going to say, but here's the fourth P, and you can walk out of here today saying, thank you, God, that this applies to me. He says, the reason that God saved me was to show his unlimited patience with me. Now that'll preach. If you want to witness to somebody in your work or in your family, just say, let me tell you how patient God is with me. And then be honest that you're really struggling with this or that. You know, a lot of times people who are not Christians think that we got it all together or we act as if we have it all together. And they think in some ways that they can never be like us. So isn't it great to share with somebody who's a neighbor or a friend, family member, and say, you know, I'm really struggling in this way in my life, and I, I really I want to get help. And I would wonder, I know you don't follow Jesus, but do you see what I see in myself, or would, how would you help me? Because I'm wrestling with this. <laughs> wow, that's, that's getting real, isn't it? Are you trying to help somebody else with their struggle, and it's so uh, amazing when we share this together. And again, if you want a great podcast, a little side note here, uh, this writer, Kurt Thompson, um, he's getting a lot of play uh, in, the, in the Christian world right now because he is, he's just a very godly man. He's a very, um, uh, just, he's very real. He's, he's very emotional about his life, his loves. But he is uh, well-respected as a psychiatrist, a neuroscientist, and he's written a book called The Anatomy of Shame, and now he's written a book about desire. But he has a podcast called Being Known, Being Known. Um, and if you want to listen to somebody talk about his faith, now this guy is the top of his medical career, his psychiatry, his understanding of how the brain works, but he loves Jesus. But if you listen to Kurt Thompson talk, you're going to find what Paul is setting the stage for here in Romans 7, how real it can be for us. And he talks about the struggle. 
But then he talks about the healing and the hope and the beauty of the gospel. And he's got this little phrase. He says, we need to create connected confessional communities. Connected confessional communities. If we're going to see God bring about renewal and reformation in our story. Well, unlimited patience. That'll preach. That'll help you. Now, a friend of mine, you know, because Paul goes on to say this. He says, I am the worst of sinners. Here he is at the end of life. He says, I am the chief of sinners. Now, I have a dear friend that I've known 50 years. And he says, Clyde, you and I both believe the Bible is infallible. The only rule of faith of practice, we use the word inerrant, that in the original manuscripts, the scriptures are not an error. But he says, I think there's an error. Because it should say, Clyde Godwin is the chief of sinners. <laughs> you know, And just poking me with that. But the reality is, if you are freed up in what we're going to read about here, you can say, I am, I am the worst of sinners. Okay, I can say that with real integrity because I know I'm so deeply loved and forgiven and accepted by God. And here's base camp. Okay, So you join the climbing team. We're going to send Romans 8 to come into the base camp. You've got to get a hold of. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Who's condemning you right now? Who's trying to put you in your place? Maybe you're your own worst adversary here at this point. That you're hard, much harder on yourself than other people are. And you're condemning yourself. But the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus says, I've taken all of that on myself for you so that you would never live in the fog of being condemned. <laughs> that you would live in the joy that I have been set free from the judgment against me. I have been set free from the guilt of my sin, the remorse of over my sin, my failures, whatever, is that I have been set free. There, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Church should be a shame-free zone. This is a shame-free table. <laughs> You can come to the table today with such joy because Jesus paid it all. Amen? He paid it all. All to him we owe. Sin had left the crimson stain, but he has made it as white as stone. He has brought the beauty of his life, his righteousness, and his blood to us and, and, and clothed us in it and said, this is what defines Clyde Godwin. He belongs with me. So when the enemy condemns me, Jesus, my advocate, looks at the enemy and the demons who would attack me and assault me, and he says, hey, he's with me. Hey, she's with me. She belongs to me. And when you know that not only have you not been condemned, but you have been adopted, so accepted, adopted, and I belong to Jesus. What a thrill. Now we're ready to climb. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we're going from being, admitting that we're helpless to finding courage to believe in the acceptance that God has for us and then to realize that he loves people like us. One of my real thrills here uh, has been bringing our dog Moby. Uh, Moby is a cream-colored golden retriever. His his dad was pure cream, his mom was like golden, so he's got a little brown on his ears and down his back. But I want to tell you, wherever I go with Moby, people love Moby. They might not love me, <laughs> but they love our dog. And so I've met all these cool people here in Cambridge through Moby. So let me 
give you the most recent fun time. We had just come back from being in North Carolina for the holidays. I took Moby up to the dog park, and there's a young woman in there, and she introduces me to her adopted dog, who's a mix uh, called Izzy. And she says to me, you know, Izzy, uh, who's a girl, says, Izzy is a foster fail. I go, what's a foster fail? (laughs) You know, explain that to me. And so she says, well, Izzy, uh, when I took her in, she said, you know, when the pandemic started, she's a single woman, she said, I started taking in foster dogs in our house to take care of them so that people could adopt them. And she told me about some cool dogs she only had for a few days and they got adopted. But Izzy is a dog, (laughs) a mixture of a pit bull, a bulldog, and something else. But Izzy is just kind of this kind of mix. And you can just tell if you're not comfortable with a dog having pit bull in its background, you go, whoa. So anyway, she gets the call to say somebody wants to adopt Izzy. And uh, she says, I looked at Izzy and I had had her for a few weeks and I go, I can't give her up. I can't give her up because I've grown to love Izzy. Now, folks, we're all foster fails. (laughs) You know, that's the beauty of what we're talking about here. We have bees. Why would God want a relationship with me? Why would God adopt me? Why would God want to hold on to me when I am continually messing up? It's because the success of our Savior, our shepherd, is such that when you and I begin to embrace our brokenness, His redemption of us begins to fit together. And let me tell you, Moby had so much fun with Izzy. (laughs) She was a foster male, but she was a delightful dog. They were running, playing, and all this kind of stuff. And that's what happens to us when we let the love of Christ break through in for us so that we can know the truth that's there. So there's therefore now no condemnation for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free. One of the marks of knowing Jesus is that you're free. You're free to accept your brokenness, but to revel in your redemption. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So team, we're in base camp. We're getting ready to spend a lot of time. We're going to go back and review some of this next week. We're going to have just time to really soak in Romans 8 and climb together. Because where we want to go as we climb, as we understand, is that uh, in the midst of our struggle, our loss, our pain, it's worth following Jesus to get to this place where we can see how grand and great his redemption is of us. Let us pray. Father, we thank you this morning uh, for the hope of the gospel, for the truth that's here, uh, to really set us free to be the people you made us to be, where we can be real, but we can be redeemed. Uh, Where we can admit that we're foster fails, but we are loved children who uh, you have promised to stay with us and not only just be patient with us, but to show us the power to change us so we look so different than we do today. So Lord, again, help us now as we come to celebrate the good news of what you've done for us and how you want to feed us today through the table. Amen. So let's stand together and say these things as we